Would you all join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us into new life in you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is really a fun time and occasion to be able to come together this way here this morning with all of us combined from different places and different locations and it's really quite appropriate that we gather here this morning combining in a very different way for all of us because we're not meeting at the same time as any of us are used to meeting on a normal basis and it's appropriate because we are reminded here this morning both physically and in regards to time that it's a weird day it is the end of Advent, the end of that journey of preparing for Christ on the one hand, and at the same time, it is Christmas Eve day. So on the one hand, we are finishing a journey, and on the other hand, that journey is already here. And what that reminds us of here this morning is that God's time is not our time. God's time is weird compared to our time. Because in reality here this morning, Jesus has not come, Jesus is come, Jesus will come, all at the same time, all mixed together. That doesn't make a lot of sense to my mind and probably not to yours either. There's this sense of not yet and already when it comes to the kingdom of God. So it's appropriate that we all gather here this morning from 8 o'clock services and 9.30 services and 11 o'clock services and wherever else uh, we might often worship. It's great to be able to come together this day and experience a new reality on a day when Christ ushers in a new reality. For weeks now, we've really been talking about this new reality. We've been using the prophet Isaiah on this journey through Advent, and Isaiah, as much as anyone, forecasts the way for this weird time that we're entering into. And Isaiah does the best he can to help us get ready for this weird time. Isaiah knew all about weird. He knew all about unique. In fact, as we talked about last week, he has this knack of putting together some of the most unusual images that you and I on our own would never come up with. And he continues that here this morning. If you were listening carefully, for example, in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1, it says, deserts and parched land rejoicing and blooming. So he's mixing together the blossoming and what might be the dead in the desert. Isaiah 35, 5, he talks about blind who are seeing, and deaf who are hearing. We wouldn't often put those things together. Isaiah 35, 6 talks about the lame leaping for joy. Talks about water gushing forth of all places in a desert. And then Isaiah 35, 7, it talks about thirsty ground, but with bubbling springs. So all this powerful imagery, unique imagery, we might say weird imagery that Isaiah is putting together for us here this morning, and he's doing it to talk to us about a future age, a different time that's going to come among us, and it's a time described by a Savior. It's a time defined by a Messiah, a King, who will usher in a new age. That's what we've been getting ready for all of these last number of weeks. It is a time, it is an age in Advent that we're getting ready for a new age among us, and because of that, we can have hope because a new age is getting ready to burst in among us. We can have hope at Christmas because we believe that the king and Isaiah that Isaiah is telling us about is coming among us, and it is none other than King Jesus himself. 
And how does this king choose to come among us and give us a sense of hope? By doing Christmas. By making Christmas a reality. In other words, by Jesus leaving his eternal home and going into exile by becoming a baby boy in our world, it's a way of ushering in hope as God always intended it to be. These interwoven themes this morning of home and exile, they run deeply throughout all of the Bible. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. And again, as we look at these words, just picture what Isaiah is drawing out for us here this morning. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2 says this. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Now, if you are like me at all, when I read through that, part of me, my brain is like, that sounds really nice, but I have no idea what you are saying. <laughs> what are you sharing here, Isaiah? What are you sharing? What are you telling me? Here's part of what he's telling us, if you break it down a little bit. Lebanon is a place of great fertility. It was known for that in the ancient times. Sharon was a place of great physical beauty, and Carmel represented orderliness. When you put those things together, what Isaiah is saying to us here this morning is that when the glory of the Lord comes, once again we'll have perfect abundance, perfect beauty, great order. That's the image that Isaiah is laying out for us here this morning. He's saying that someday the glory of the Lord will come to pass in such a way that the natural order of things will once again be renewed with abundance and with beauty and with order. And how's, how's it going to happen? Isaiah tells us that too. Isaiah 35, 4 says this, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Your God will come, says Isaiah. In fact, he will come with vengeance. The reason for the renewal is that God himself will make the journey to earth. This God who comes among us will be physically present. So God is here now. We may not feel like we can see him, and yet Isaiah is coming. He'll come saying he will come in a way that you can see him. And, says Isaiah, to take this to one more level, when he comes and when you can see him, here's what will happen. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, something incredible. It says, when that day comes, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. All this amazing, incredible healing and beauty and abundance will happen when this invisible God becomes visible to us. That's what Isaiah is laying out for us this morning. And for those of you that like hymns, maybe that sounds a little bit familiar. The hymn, Oath for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, is based on what I just shared with you in the verse that says, Hear him ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind behold your Savior come and leap you lame for joy. What's Wesley saying in the hymn? 
the same thing that Isaiah is saying. The time will come when there will be no more disease, no more death, no more sting, no more pain. And when will that time be? When this earth becomes the home that God always intended it to be. And that process of becoming home starts right here, right now at Christmas. This theme of exile and home, it's woven throughout all of the Bible. Israel was exiled into Egypt and eventually brought back home. Israel was exiled again into Babylon and eventually brought back home. And even when they returned to their homeland, they were still under Roman oppression. So even back in their homeland, they were slaves and not really home yet, even though they were back in their homeland. They were exiles in their own home. And if you look at the Bible story as a whole, this whole story of Israel is really the story of you and I. It's the story of all of humanity. In Genesis, with humanity, with Adam and Eve, they lose their home. How? By choosing to turn away from God. When we turn away from God, we lose our sense of home. And then at the very end of the Bible, with the second coming of God, we see the garden city of God coming down out of heaven to recreate the Garden of Eden, to recreate our home. This is the story not only of creation, it's the story of you and I. Because here's what the Bible teaches us, and one of the things I want us to hear this morning. The Bible teaches us that every human being, all of us, we are actually in exile ourselves. We are spiritually homeless. We are in spiritual exile when we seek anything but God. To understand this concept, we have to understand what home really is. You've all heard the term before, I'm sure. A house is not a home. What's the difference between the two? Because it takes a while for some place to truly become home. I still remember when I was in college now, many years ago, more than I would care to admit, and it had taken about three years. And I loved Messiah College, it was a great place, but I wouldn't call it home until about my third year. And I still remember this day, I was walking across the campus and somebody from like another corner of the campus literally went out of their way to yell my name across the campus area, calling out, hey, Matt Lake, and so that I stopped and turned and waved. And I waved to my friend and I kind of took a few more steps and it hit me. I was suddenly like, I'm not just a visitor here anymore. Somebody went out of their way to welcome me here. And there was a switch that I was no longer just a visitor at Messiah, I was home. And it felt good. See, when you're home, home suits you. It's got your pictures and your level of comfortability. It's a place that you create that fits you. Why do you think people get worn out when they travel and they're on the road all the time? I mean, most of the time when you're traveling, you have a roof over your head, you've got some good food to eat. Why do you get so worn out? Because it's not your bed. It doesn't fit you the way you designed it. Home is meant to be a place of harbor and restoration and sanctuary. Home doesn't drain you. Home fills you because you're known there and you're valued there and you're loved there. I often talk with one of our staff members about taking advantage of being home as a place of sanctuary and rest and restoration. A homeland is where you don't have to struggle to understand people there or the customs or the food. You just get it because you're home and you belong. 
Conversely, literal homelessness is brutalizing. It's destructive. It's not only physically, but it's emotionally harmful to be out sleeping on benches that were never designed for you. There was a German philosopher named Martin Heidegger, and he once said, modern humans are characterized by now living in a world that does not fit our deepest desires. In other words, we are characterized by a world not fitting us. Why? Because of Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, where it says, Lord, you alone have been our dwelling place throughout all the generations. God, you and you alone were meant to be our home. See, we were built, we were originally designed to love and to serve God, to find our home in God, to be so delighted in his beauty, we just enjoyed being in his presence and serving God. And when we're not doing those things, it really doesn't fit us because we're not home. I love this description by Tim Keller. It says, if we live for anything more than God, even if it's family or children or jobs or politics, we're actually turning to something that is not our home into our home, and it cannot bear the weight of our soul. I love that description. Because to me, it explains why we can have so much and yet so little. Be so full of stuff and yet be empty in spirit. Why, when we have more material goods than maybe we've ever had before, is the suicide rate in our culture continuing to rise? Because people are living in exile. They're homeless and they're searching for meaning. We've moved out of our spiritual homes. We've quit doing what we were designed to do. Spiritually, we are living in a box in a park in the dead of winter. Because when God is not the most important thing in our life, we then experience spiritual homelessness. Remember, we were made for the Garden of Eden. But besides, because we decided to call the shots, we lost our home. And the Bible tells us we've lost our home. It's not the place that God designed it to be for us anymore. And you and I, we know this in our hearts. We were not made for a world of aging and blindness and sickness and racism and sexism. We weren't. We're in exile. Every one of us, internally and externally, exile. Now, I get it. At this point, you're probably thinking, well, gee whiz, this is not very uplifting, Pastor Matt. When are you going to get to something Christmassy? When are you going to get to something that lifts up my spirits? Hang in there with me, church. There's good news here this morning. There's great news here this morning. All the pages in the Old Testament are wrestling with the promise that the Messiah will come and take us home. The Messiah comes to create home again and get us out of our exile and the first time that jesus comes to do this is here at christmas he starts the process to take away our homelessness and bring us home and the bible tells us he'll come back a second time and finish it completely when all will be restored and every piece of home given back and that is good news for us this day how will jesus come to start this process of making the world home again the answer is Christmas. Wonderful, holy, powerful Christmas. But we have to be careful here, church. 
We so often sentimentalize Christmas. We recreate the nativity for the children, and in the process, we sentimentalize the story. We sanitize the story. So we sing songs like, The Little Lord Jesus, Asleep on the Hay, as if the hay were soft and comfy. I can tell you from experience, it's rough and dusty and itchy and even sharp if it jags you the wrong way. We treat the story of Mary and Joseph like they were glad to stop and have a baby at the stable. <laughs> you know the story. Mary and Joseph are on the road. They're not even having an opportunity for Jesus to be born in a hotel or even in a home. He's born in a little broken-down barn called a stable. Not very clean, not very sanitary. And yet we think that Mary and Joseph were just wandering along and saw a little barn off to the side of the road and were like, hey, why don't we stop and have a baby here? No, no, no. The door of the hotel was slammed in their face. And it's at that very moment that Mary's like, oh, Joseph, it's time. Now, I don't know what it was like for Joseph in that moment. I'd like to think he was a well-prepared kind of man. But all I can think when I read this encounter in Scripture is, you know the movie clips where the dad who's got the bag by the door and is totally ready to go until the moment the wife says it's time and then he panics? That's kind of how I picture Joseph here. The door slams in their face. You've got to find somewhere else to have the baby. And Mary says, Joseph, it's time. And Joseph's eyes get really big. Honey, can you hold on just a little longer? <laughs> Don't ever say that to your pregnant wife about ready to give birth, let me tell you. And Mary says, Joe, no, it's time now. And this 14-year-old-ish, it's probably what she would have been, girl, gives birth to the Son of God by the manure of the animals who were nearby in a feeding trough with chewed up bits of feed and saliva coming, that would have come out of their mouth. And we sing, little Jesus asleep on the hay, when in reality there would have been blood and sweat and tears. No epidural, no sanitary gloves. Do you hear the exile and the rejection and the homelessness? It should make us weep. It's not the sweetest thing except it is a symbol of just how far this God will go to get into your mess and into mine. And that should give us hope. There's nothing that this God won't do even to go into exile, to leave the comforts of the home of heaven, to come and to be with you and me. And this is why Jesus comes, out of his love for us. And this is how this Messiah will bring us salvation from a place of exile by bringing us back home. Jesus was born in homelessness. He lived in homelessness. He even died in homelessness. All for our sake. I hope that reality can begin to sink in with us here this morning. And because we serve a Savior who cared about the homeless, who was homeless, that's why we care about the homeless as well. We can't be okay with folks who have no place to lay their head, to call home, to be at peace. And so we ourselves seek to serve our neighbors and our loved ones here locally and around our world out of the same love as Christ to say it's not okay for anyone to not have a place to lay their head. My hope and my prayer 
as we gather this Christmas Eve day, this end of Advent day, is that we might again discover a sense of home and to understand that anything outside of our desire for God, anything, money, family, job, success, any of those things that outrank God will always leave us in exile, wandering and lost and hopeless. This morning we come to find the one who gives us hope, who defines home for us. Many years ago I've shared with you that Jen and I had a chance to live in England. We loved England, all kinds of things about it. It was a foreign place to us, but the people were kind to us and we were intrigued by all the different things they did in England. They spoke differently. A lorry was a truck. A boot was the trunk in your car. Football meant soccer, not our version of football. Uh, they literally drove on the opposite sides of the road. They had different foods and different accents. Even time was different. In England, something that's 200 years old, that's young. It really is compared to us. It took some getting used to. We, we loved England, but here's the thing. It was never home. At the end of our time in England, we had a chance to stay a little bit longer, and we said no. When we were given the opportunity, we came back here. Why? Because here... We were known, we were loved, and we were valued just for who we are. And we took advantage of that opportunity to be home when we were able. I know that for home, some of us may actually not be the best of places. Home life may be hard and not what we hope for. Home can actually be a very difficult place, whether it's because there's an empty spot at the table whether it's tension or broken relationships in our family, home can be hard. So if that's us here this day, can I say to us, can I remind us, can I proclaim with us and Isaiah here this morning at Christmas that as we gather this day, we celebrate that our earthly homes are only ever temporary. This is not our true home. Our true home is with Christ and at home with Christ. So today, let us get ready for the birth. Jesus comes and begins the process of welcoming all of us to our true homes, home as it was meant to be, where we're known and valued and loved just for who we are. Christmas means the great God, Jesus Christ, became homeless so he could make this world home. And at the end of time, he will create the new heaven and the new earth. The lion will lay with the lamb. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. In fact, in that time, no lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away forever and ever and ever. That sounds like home to me, church. And it sounds like hope. Wonderful, beautiful hope. So let's be welcomed home, church. Let's be welcomed home with Christ who comes among us this day. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Amen. Amen.